Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thailand is an interesting place. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so Lisa, what's your, what's your favorite thing to do in Thailand? I know it's a very cliche answer, but I think definitely eat because, you know, I love Thai food, I love Tom Yum, I love Pad Thai and boat noodles. So yeah, eat. How about eating people? Hmm, I've never eaten people in Thailand. <laughs> I know somebody else who has. Alright, so there's this forensic museum in Bangkok. It's called the Siraj Science Museum and it's also nicknamed the Museum of Death. Alright? And in this museum, there's a smaller museum. So it's like a bunch of museum Russian nesting dolls. And within the Songkram Nyom San Forensic Science Museum, you'll find the bodies of murderers and accident victims. Wait, what? They mummify the bodies? Yeah. Oh, and wow. they put it on display for nice. like medical students and for tourists to see. And in that museum, you'll also find the embalmed body of Thailand's first known serial killer and alleged cannibal. He was suspected to have killed and eaten more than children in the 1950s, and that's less than 70 years ago. What the fuck? Hi, I'm Teddy. And I'm Lisa. And welcome to A Brief Case. Today, we're looking at Si Wei, Thailand's cannibal serial killer. Ooh. I'm gonna start with the fact that we don't really know much about his past or his childhood, but then record keeping was super messy then, right? Like, like a hundred years ago. So we do know that his original name wasn't Si Wei or Si Oi or Si Kui, depending on what source that you're listening <laughs> to. But it was actually Ng Li Hui. Wait, Ng? Yeah, yeah, Ng. Okay. So if, if, if you pronounce it correctly, it's Huang Li Hui. Wait, so he's Chinese? Yeah, so he's Chinese. Wow. He was born in China in either Shanto or Fujian. And again, because record keeping was very messy, he was born in either 1921 or 1927. Even though most English newspapers reference it as Shanto and 1927, so like younger. Okay. And around that time, it's communist revolution, you know, Mao Zedong was taking over China. It was just communism all over the world. And in 1945, he was drafted into World War II under Mao's army to fight the Japanese. Okay. Alright, so it's very easy to have like a very western lens on things, right? But we also forget that Asia, Southeast Asia also, was like this brutal, brutal theatre of war. It was very violent, it was very like bloody. Yeah, yeah, we were in like the heart of it all as well, right? Yeah, Asia was a theatre of war, it's not just like Europe. And what happened, right, that his unit was sieged. It was sieged for weeks and weeks and weeks. And they ran out of food. They ran out of rations. I can kind of see where this is going. <laughs> and then there's this one source, right, that alleges that while his fellow soldiers, they're like, we'll just eat grass, like, screw it, we'll eat grass, he decided to eat his fallen fellow soldiers instead. Mm, okay. 
I, I guess in a way you can say he's resourceful. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think it's a thing where like most countries or like most people won't prosecute you if you turn to cannibalism during war because of the circumstances or so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. Another source, okay, it says that it was his military commanders that told him to do it. No. Yeah, they told him that he needed to eat the livers of the enemy soldiers so that they would be strong. Okay, wait, I mean, if enemy soldiers, then maybe, but then, does it mean that the entire unit turned to cannibalism? Like, we, we don't know, it's just all, like, rumours. Mm. But it wasn't unheard of, la. like, it was common for, like, Asian soldiers in Asian troops at that point of time to be like, eat the livers of your enemies and become strong. Oh. But maybe it's just a rumour, maybe it's just, like, a urban legend, you know? Yeah, now I wonder how many other Asian armies have been going around beating <laughs> dead bodies <laughs> for their liver. We don't know. Alright, so apparently that's because the liver was supposed to be like the centre of life in the body. So you get the liver, you get the power. But again, we don't know how true that is. And apparently it was really common in World War II. So not just in in Asia, but in like camps in Germany. And I think it was documented that it happened to two four Japanese soldiers in New Guinea. So not too far away from, from Singapore. They say that Suwei got his first taste of human flesh there. Alright, so after World War II, he was like, I'm done, I don't really want to be here. So he hops on a ship and he immigrated to Thailand. He hops on a cargo ship and he landed at Klongtoi Port. According to some reports, the day that he landed was 28th December 1946. So Boxing Day after World War II. Wait, so, so did he kind of just like disappear from the army and, and run away or...? There's like no how? details, but I think he probably served everything. Then, you know, World War II ended in like 45, 46. Yeah. And then I guess he just probably got sent back and was like, I don't really want to go back. Mm. But I think it was something that a lot of people did then also. They just relocated after the war because everything yeah. is such a mess. I'm sure, I'm sure. A new life, a new beginning. That's right. But the interesting thing is that he never really got super good at speaking Thai. Lah. So he never really like assimilated too much. Okay. Yeah. So... After that, he worked a couple of different jobs in Bangkok before settling in this place called Prachup Kiri Khan, which is in the south of Bangkok, so still quite central as a gardener. So his first kill was supposed to be in 1954, mm-hmm. just a little less than 10 years. Yeah. Alright, so this is where we get our unreliable narrator, you know, like Gongle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the information on these kills, they are, they are not evidence-based, they are based on what Sil Wei told the police. Okay. So, and another thing to note, right, like I mentioned, he spoke very little Thai. So you imagine, right, this is translated from Chinese to Thai and then to English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there might be, like, mistranslation. It's like when you translate something in Google Translate yeah, and then yeah. you go a few times and then it just, it doesn't, it loses its meaning. It's la. like telephone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the game. Alright, so we don't really know why he started to do it and I don't really get it. La. So maybe it's like, imagine you're never allowed to eat your favourite food again. Hmm... What's your favourite food, Lisa? I don't know. I love food too much. Hokkien mm, mee? Bato mee? I love Singapore food. If okay. we can even like, you know, attribute those to Singapore. Mm. <laughs> so if you if somebody told you you can never eat Hokkien mee again, unless you killed somebody. So let's say, let's say I'm like, oh Lisa, I'm going to kill that man and I'll give you a plate of Hokkien mee. If not, you can never eat Hokkien mee again. Will you do it? No, I don't think so. Like, what if you get caught and then, you know, I'm pretty sure... And then the police will be like, why do you kill that man for Hokkien Mee? Yeah, for Hokkien Mee. 
But then maybe I would get away on like insanity charges. Because like the judge will be like, girl, why are you going to kill that man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. For Hokkien Mi, you're insane. Like, you know, you're spared Off from you the go, death yeah. sentence. Off you go, yeah. Into... IMH, I guess. IMH? Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, so his first attempted kill was on 10th April 1954. So he was at the market, so like the wet market in Thailand. <laughs> yeah, it's right. like, wow. Okay. Alright, and this one sounds very risky and it sounds like it was unplanned. It sounds almost like he had like this massive craving and was like, okay, I must give in to my craving. So he tried to attack this 8-year-old girl, Bangorn. Parmonsut. So I'm so sorry if the names are pronounced wrong. So he bit her throat. He like bit her throat and he tried to drag her into the forest but she managed to escape. He sounds feral at this point. Like, yeah. why would you bite her throat? Why not just pick her up? She's an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> right, like grab her, run, run into the forest. We don't know how big she is though. You know, some, some teenagers, they're damn big. They're like bigger than me. Then I tried to. I guess so, but I assume back then they're like scrawny. They're probably hungry because Southeast Asia isn't what it is yeah. now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. I, I, would be, I would also be a bit scared to pick up a Thai kid because like, mm. I feel like, what if they all know Muay Thai? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, I guess that's a risk you're going to have to take for food, right? Yeah. <laughs> so he totally failed. Instead of deciding that, oh yeah, I'm really shitty at this. This is not the life for me. He tries again in about like a month later. About a month later, he was at a nighttime wedding fair kind of thing, like carnival. And he attacks a 11-year-old. Her name is Nit Sepu. And we don't have any information on what else happened. But her body was found next to a rail line, like, you know, train tracks. Mm-hmm. And she had been stabbed in the throat. And her heart, liver, and kidneys were gone. Mm. Yeah. So after that, he's like, oh, maybe this murder life is for me. So he goes on a killing spree after that. He kills a six-year-old in Bangkok in November, about six months later. After that, he kills two other kids in Prachaup, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. So they're all kids. And it's never back-to-back, and there's always a couple of months between each kill. And if this is true, that's four killings already. So he meets the requirements to be a serial killer. Yeah. Wait, so four and more? Uh, three and more. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Hey, why are you taking notes? Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> mm, Lisa... <laughs> Alright, so the other thing is that he had an MO, he had a very standard MO, you know, modus operandi. Yeah. Um, so he would kill the children by stabbing them in the throat, then he would disembowel them, and then he would slit open their chests, so he would take out their hearts and livers, and then he would boil it, and then he would eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first kid was missing kidneys as well, right? Yeah. So, so like... Taste test. So he didn't like it. <laughs> I don't taste test. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> And the thing is that it wasn't that he liked children. That's why he said he, it was just that children were easier. Mm. Yeah, so I tried to find, but there isn't an accurate number of children. It just ranges from like four to six, but at minimum, he killed at least four children. That's what they say. Okay. Now, this brings us to a Monday afternoon in 1958. And that's really, really not too long ago. That's like 50, 60 years ago. Wait, what, 58? Yeah, 1958. Yeah, 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 I would think so. Oh my gosh, we're living in 2021. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so there's this eight-year-old. Eight-year-old Sombun Bunyakan. So he went to buy some vegetables from a local farmer, gardener, and he never comes back. So his dad, his dad Nawa, he gets worried. So he calls his friends to come and help look for his son. He's like, guys, my son is missing. 
Alright, so they live in a seaside town in Non Phra Rayong. And so, actually, it makes sense because it could be dangerous. Because, you know, like seaside town, you're like, oh, what if he falls into the water? What if there's like forest and gets attacked by an animal or something? Yeah. So they were searching in the forest, right? Which is already a dangerous thing, you know, you're, in, you're a kid in a forest. Yeah. And they come across Sui, which is also coincidentally the guy that his son went to buy vegetables from. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And Sui was burning the eight-year-old boy's body. Okay, that's stupid though. I mean, if I were him, not saying that I would ever kill a kid. Yeah. You live in a seaside town, throw the body into the sea. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, well, you be get, risk getting caught, setting the body on fire, that takes a while, right? Then the body yeah. takes a while to burn as well. Yeah. Quite dumb. Actually, that's really smart. <laughs> you could just take out the parts you wanted to yeah. eat and then like throw the... Yeah, animals would pick him off. You can throw it into the sea. I don't know. Well, I don't like how smart you are. <laughs> <laughs> Let it be noted that I am here <laughs> with Lisa and <I'm> alive. <laughs> I wouldn't do anything to you. Su <laughs> 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 Wei went to trial on 25th March 1958. Alright, the trial lasted for only 9 days and he confessed to every charge against him. What? Right? So initially they sentenced him to life. Because he pled guilty, but like, so it's like some sort of clemency, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, if you're ever charged, you're like, oh, do you want to take a plea deal? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it was something like that. But immediately, the prosecutors, they object. They feel like there was so much evidence, especially since he was caught in the middle of burning a body, right? Mm. That even if he didn't plead guilty, they would have been able to convict him. Do you know what I mean? So the plea yeah. deal wasn't worth like yeah, the deal, yeah, yeah. like they say, the plea deal is only worth if like you cannot convict. I mean, I yeah. would think so, like It's like a slam dunk. Like, why would you um, exactly? Yeah. Why would you give them a plea deal, right? Mm. So, at the appeals court, they were like, "Yeah, makes sense. That's mm. <laughs> right, makes sense." And then they sentenced him to death. Mm-hmm. And again, this is another anecdote that apparently he passed out when he heard that he was sentenced to death when he heard the death sentence. Okay. Yeah, and he had to be revived by smoking a policeman's cigarette. Oh, wait, what, how does that work? Like, you shove the cigarette in his mouth? <laughs> I don't know, no, we, we try next time, okay? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> wait until someone pass out. <laughs> right, so Suwei, he was executed by firing squad mm. on 16th September 1959. Seems kind of anticlimactic, right? Like, he just... Like kill four children, get ca- gets caught burning body, and then like yeah yeah I'm guilty, like kill me, and yeah, then yeah, he's yeah. dead. And then he was thirty two years old and he died. Oh, okay. yeah, so he was actually that young. Yeah, but that is like quite old for for that time, no? Was I mean. it? Was thirty two? Eh, this is the like fifty something. Like thirty two isn't that old, eh? I don't know. My man. my ama who was born in nineteen sixteen lived until like hundred. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, then I guess thirty two is quite young. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so after he was killed, the we, we noticed the Siri Raj Hospital, they took his body for a medical study. And he was preserved in the medical museum, you know, the one we mentioned before. So it's for like students and for the public to view. And I heard that when he was still displayed, right? So I, I read somewhere, I think I read it, when he was still displayed, like once a year, they would have a masseuse, like... like a masseuse uh-huh. come and rub him down with Vaseline so that his mummified self would be real shiny. Okay, I mean, I, I guess I can understand that, but 
the question that keeps on running through my head is that how does the firing squad work? Like, where does he exactly get shot? And how does it not destroy his, like, his body. body structure? Yeah, I don't know. Well, actually, like... that makes a lot of sense. If he's mummified, shouldn't he be, like, a bit damaged? So, yeah. um, firing squads work like this. So, like, you're, there's a bunch of guys yeah. and you're just, like, standing there. And then the whole, like, logic of the firing squad is that unlike an executioner, right, you don't really know who was the one that, like, did the killing shot. Yeah, no, so, like, the sense. guilt is not so bad, you know? Yeah. yeah, whereas with an executioner, it's, like, it's always you. It's on yeah. you. And then you kill everybody. So why did he do away with that then? I mean, that makes sense to me. I don't know that, but Singapore does like hanging, which is one executioner. Yeah. I'm just gonna guess that it's like more dangerous because like you're just firing bullets all yeah. around. And Singapore doesn't really like guns. And then the other thing is that like... Okay, uh, it's gonna be very anti, okay? Okay. A bit wasteful, eh? Oh, waste money, yeah. I, 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 that's the other thing that I was thinking about also. But then, to actually be the executioner, I think yeah. that takes a lot of you, I, I, I assume. Yeah, I think I think it also takes a lot of, like, courage. Mm. And it's also very scary because you never know, oh shit, what if the guy that I, like, killed was not guilty? Yeah. Yeah, but... Wow, it's a discussion. Mm. Alright. Okay, so now you know in Singapore, right? There's like Hopa Villa. Yeah. And then when you're in primary school or if you have particularly enthusiastic grandparents, they will bring you to Hopa Villa to go and see what you get punished for. I don't think I've ever been to Hopa Villa. It creeps me out. Really? Yeah. Like, um, so I always see like videos online. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry, man, those sculptures just look <laughs> horrifying. Like, no... I always go to Hopa Villa. Like, oh, no, whenever I have friends come in from like not Singapore, I'll be like, y'all want to know a little bit about oh. Singapore culture? Okay, and that's where you bring them. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm sure our government would rather you bring them to like Gardens by the Bay, SEA Aquarium, the I zoo. I mean, I do am a friend of the gardens, but I also bring them to Hopa Villa. Mm-hmm. Thanks, STV. We are looking for some cash money. This podcast is expensive. <laughs> Alright. Okay, so anyway, the whole point of Copa Villa is like it's meant to scare children into behaving, right? To be filial, to not gossip. No, wait, is that the actual purpose of Hopa Villa? Yeah, so there's this section called like the levels of hell or something, and it's in this cave, and it's legit damn scary because there's like. I, I think the guards of hell there and yeah. um, I think one year they even held like a haunted house there. Oh, I would not I go totally to such would. A... No, you never know. I mean, you know, like sometimes when you imitate and then it, they, it, it will attract. Yeah, don't you? I mean, I kind of believe that. I, I'm a bit superstitious but I'll like uh, uh, I guess if you Oh take my god, you know what? I just heard something from another podcast recently. It's like ting I do not want to know that. Okay, and, and that translates to if you listening, they listening too. <laughs> yeah. Alright. And anyway, in Western countries like US, UK, Australia, my friends tell me that uh, people will say like, Oh, if you don't go to bed, the boogeyman will get you. Mm. But like in Thailand, Thai parents would tell their kids Behave if not Silway will come and get you. No wait, so he's actually a household name now. He's a household name there. He only killed four kids. Eh. I'm pretty sure there are four more. Four to six. Like... Four to six. Okay, fine. Four to six kids. I'm pretty sure there are more prolific like serial killers out there. Like in Thailand, I would think so because 
Thai, Thai people are so chill, they Buddhist, they are like relaxed. Yeah, but then I think also because like I'm I I mean they are kinda not SSRs, right? I'm also sure whoa, 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 whoa. that they're kinda okay wait, let me rephrase. rephrase they are they are sort they're now, still a developing country. Mm. So I would think that actually some people they might not be as well documented. Um some crimes especially oh. in the rural areas, I'm also pretty sure that you know, people go missing. There might be more prolific killers out there. It's just that they don't know that they're killers. You just imagine the person like went off on a walk and like accidentally yeah, yeah. fell down the. And and I'm actually sure there are probably others who have been caught like Siwei who have killed more. Yeah, I don't know, but but I think Siwei was like the most famous at that time. You know, like how like I feel like Siwei's counterpart in Singapore is like Adrian Lim. Mm, yeah, 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 like Adrian Lim gonna come and get you, y'all. Okay, I've never been threatened by with Adrian Lim. I think by the time <laughs> I don't think anyone's been threatened with Adrian yeah, Lim. Yeah, I, I mean scary. I've read about him on yeah. my own, but my parents have never mentioned him. You know, but yeah. is that weird? I don't know. No, Singaporean parents are damn boring. Singaporean pa- parents are like you behave if not the police come for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, police. Here's a bunch of theories I found. Mm. All right, so you brought up a really good point. They're like, why is Suwei like so big in Thailand? Why why is he a household name? Why is he their boogeyman? Yeah. All right. So Thailand at the time, right, and a lot of Southeast Asia, they got a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment going on. Okay. They got a lot of like, you know, the anti-communist sentiment. So right, there's some people who say that the Thai police made him confess. Like they told him that if he didn't confess, he'll be deported back to communist China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, do you think that there's a possibility that he didn't do it at all? Ah, so that's what we're gonna explore. Mm. Alright, so on one hand, when he was interviewed, he said that he was never coerced. But then, right, from some sources that I read, that there were, like, discrepancies in his confessions. Okay, like, he would say that, um, yeah, I totally killed this girl, and I, like, cut out her organs and shit. But then, right, when they found the body, she was completely intact. It was just that her throat was stabbed, which was, which was like, similar but not the same. He would say that... That he stayed with guy A on the night of the murder, but it was actually with guy B. So it was like small discrepancies. But then there's the thing. Sometimes when you tell story, you also like forget a bit here, a bit there. Yeah, I mean that's true. But also, who are finding? Who are the ones finding these discrepancies? Because if the police coerced him to confess and they made yeah. up their own story, who is going around fact checking it and exactly? Because the police would be the ones fact checking, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so a lot of people think not a lot, but some people think that he was being used as a scapegoat because mm. the police just needed the case to be solved quickly because you have all these children being killed. Yeah. Yeah. And Wait, sorry, but I mean the other thing about him killing six. Four to six children. Four to six, yeah. Is that... Because you, when you were listing them all out, I don't yeah. actually know the geography of Thailand that well, but they yeah. sounded like in different parts in like towns. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's another thing that supported the case. But that's the thing. He never worked at one place. He yeah. like kind of drifted around. Okay. There's, also, there's also no like real record of where he was at each time other than people who are like, oh yeah, I employed him to do this. Oh yeah, I employed him to do that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Cool. Also at that time there was another suspect and this suspect like for the killings and this suspect was called Sawai Pinsil Bachai. Coincidentally this guy was a butcher. He was a Thai butcher. Huh, actually I feel that maybe then this guy <laughs> is the is the one, right? Yeah, no, but he was identified, he was locked up, but then eventually let go. Yeah, so maybe it might not have been one of them. The police even like considered this theory, right? Where maybe Suwe is the killer and then the butcher is like his assistant, but they like 
they didn't pursue that that like line of investigation ah. Okay, okay. So so at this point of time because there's so much like almost like controversy around it, I don't even know at this point if it's true that he was found burning somebody's body, but like I feel like if he was burning somebody's body, regardless of everything else, right, it would have been super damning. Because even if let's say you didn't kill the rest, you killed one person and you burned their body, that would have been damning enough. Lah. So maybe it could have been that they found him with this one and then they were like, Well, we have a bunch of unsolved murders, why don't we like just close it with him as well? Yeah, but I guess the other way to verify it is after he died, did the killing stop? Yeah. Oh, we so, don't know that though. Yes. Yeah. Alright, so after his execution, he was preserved, mummified, and put in a museum. So he stayed there for six decades until he was cremated last year. Wait, what? So they, after like mummifying him, ensuring that his body, to quote you, stays shiny, yeah. they just cremated him like one fine day? I think... A lot of people were like, you don't know if he was guilty or innocent, that's the thing. And I think they have a very strong Buddhist community there, and they're very into the idea of like, redemption. Oh. Yeah. After six decades though. After six decades. And the thing is that they're like, you're putting his body out there to be like, demonized by everybody. Mm. Even on this podcast, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is up for discussion, like whether... Like, where does the line stop la, between, yeah. you know, um, teaching people about the past, uh, the I know, history of your country and everything. Yeah. So, I guess there was just really a lot of people conflicted as to whether he did it or not. La. So, Lisa, what do you think? I, I mean, I would think that he did it because if you were found burning a body, the body doesn't have all of its organs, uh, I mean, according mm-hmm. to, uh, and it fits the MO of that serial killer. Yeah. I would say it is pretty damning, and that coupled with his history of having, um, you know, experienced cannibalism in the war. Alleged. Alleged. Uh, okay, fine, <laughs> allegedly. I mean, everything is alleged, right? Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know if there's even... Uh, maybe like what I said la, like was there a, a way to verify that the killing stopped after that? Yeah. So, I mean it's all pretty up in the air. Wouldn't be able to say for sure, but I'm leaning towards he actually did it la, because yeah. if you found a dead body, why wouldn't you just run away or tell someone? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why be caught burning it? Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Ooh, and Thanks to you all for listening to this week's episode of A Brief Case, Thailand's Cannibal Serial Killer. Do you think that Sue is guilty or not? Drop us a comment or a DM at A Briefcase Podcast on Instagram or find us online at abriefcasepodcast.com. And do join us next week for another briefcase. Military parents never miss a beat, and neither does the Johns Hopkins U.S. Family Health Plan. Built for every warrior in your family, with more than 40 years of service to military families, TRICARE Prime Benefits plus exclusive extras. Learn more at warriorsathome.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.